Thank you, Steve, for uh, leading us this far. And um, we're going to continue opening the scriptures. Sunday school has gone, I see, so that's great. And uh, keep those teachers and children in your prayers. We're going to open the scriptures at at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and continue our series. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 7 and read right to the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians 4. And verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 12. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Some passages of scripture really jump out and challenge us more than others and and if I can point to a passage of scripture that has challenged me to the max, it is this one this morning. And I want you to be challenged as well and encouraged and strengthened. But as I was looking into this scripture, and you'll see the title of God, the Lord's treasure and Jake and, uh, and jars of clay. It is true, isn't it, that you cannot judge a book by its cover, right? Or equally, you, you cannot accurately value a gift by what it is packaged in or wrapped in. You know, I received a gift recently, and it was wrapped in ordinary brown paper tied up with ordinary brown string. And evidently it was rustically creative to the giver. But to me it was very plain and ordinary and uh, that probably shows you my lack of artistic or creative flair. Um, but, But before I even opened this ordinary looking wrapped gift, I loved it because I happened to love the giver of it. 
But it wasn't until I cut loose the brown string and ripped off the brown paper that my eyes beheld a beautiful copper plate etching of a hummingbird that my wife had spent many, many hours creating for me. One of my favourite birds, the hummingbird. To me, the plain packaging did no justice at all to this beautiful copper etching that was inside. Now, this is a similar kind of analogy that Paul uses here of himself and, I might say, of every genuine believer in Jesus Christ. Except here in our text, Paul calls himself not brown paper, but a jar of clay or an earthen vessel you may have in your translation which, by the way, was a vessel in Paul's time that was used for ordinary household duties, even right down to carrying rubbish. But inside that vessel, inside that vessel, that ordinary person who has become a child of God, as we track the analogy through here, is housed, something beautiful, is housed the treasure of God's glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder if that's how we view ourselves this morning, as God's jars of clay. Jars of clay that are ready to be used in whatever way the master of the house chooses. I wonder if that's how we see ourselves this morning. And if we don't, by the way, it simply means we have an overinflated view of ourselves. That's the kindest way I could put it. We have an overinflated view of our external, temporary packaging that God has given us at the expense of the eternal, glorious gift that He has entrusted to us for His pleasure and His eternal glory. Well, the Apostle Paul shows us here by his own example how believers need to think of themselves and live in this very prideful, egotistical world. Even though being criticised by false teachers for his lack of human credentials, his lack of finesse in oratory and persuasiveness, even though being criticised by those, for those things, The Apostle Paul, in being an example for us to follow, he does not allow his humanness to commandeer and overshadow the treasure, the light, as we have in verse 6, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He allows nothing to eclipse or overshadow that. And as we see, in this biography, because it is biographical, this section of Scripture, the Apostle Paul considers himself to be like a jar of clay, ready to be used in whatever circumstance the Lord sees fit, no matter what. And so in this biographical section, Paul focuses on how he lived his life. And as we think about that, it's not just about cerebral information for us so that we can say, okay, that was good, 
It's not just about that, but it's written so that we might emulate him, we might imitate him. After all, the Apostle Paul said to uh, the Corinthians in the first book, be ye imitators of me as I am also of Christ, right? So there we have the biblical mandate to copycat the Apostle Paul. So whether serving the Lord at home, in the office, on the shop floor, or in this church, retirement, or even at school. This section is very relevant to every child of God. So what does the Apostle, through this inspired text, want us to see and understand first of all? First of all, he wants us to understand that the Lord's jars of clay are fragile. We see this in verses 7 to 10. Very fragile. And we all know it, right? This came to home recently when I've just been communicating with New Zealand. My mother, even though she's 93, she's on her last days. Actually, I may even get a phone call any day, I'm expecting, that she's passed on to be of the Lord. Fragile. Even in our youth, we are fragile. But the two contrasting figures Paul uses here is of treasure and earthen vessels. And what Paul does here by using these contrasting figures is he immediately draws the reader attention, reader's attention to the very heart of the whole passage. But before we look, we just want to have a little, a little bit of context of, and we can understand, as you know, that Paul on this occasion was under fierce attack from the false prophets who had infiltrated the church at Corinth specifically, but more than likely through a number of the churches of a whole region of Macedonia. And so what they did is they demeaned the Paul's apostolic credentials, they demeaned his ministry, they denigrated his character, and they stooped really low in their critical attacks. They ridiculed his personal appearance and even his ability to communicate. And as we have in this book, the second letter, chapter 10, verse 10, they call him unimpressive and his speech contemptible. How low can you get? That's the kind of thing that we'd expect politicians to do, isn't it? But here were, it was going on in this church. And so the purpose was for these false teachers was to move the believers in Corinth's loyalty away from the truth and the, of the gospel of God's grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone was to move them away from that and to follow their own gospel, which was a gospel, faith in Jesus Christ plus works that we have looked into in recent days. This was a false gospel. And so there was nothing that these false prophets, these false teachers, would not stoop to in order to undermine Paul and his ministry. So what is Paul going to do when he hears these remarks and these criticism filtering back to him? What is he going to do? To say nothing would suggest his weakness as a leader. And more importantly, the truth of the gospel would, be go, would go on undefended and at this early stage of the church, it, the gospel would be at risk. But then on the other hand, to defend himself, you can well imagine and understand himself against these personal attacks would come across like maybe Paul did have an ego problem of his own. 
So he was like a rock in a hard place. So what does he do? Rather than repudiate these personal slanderous attacks, you know what he does? He embraces them. He embraces them. He does this by agreeing that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ was kept in fragile, imperfect, ordinary human clay pots. The very weaknesses that were used to slander and reject Paul are the very reasons that proved to be the apostles' highest credentials. Hence, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10 says, Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul speaking again, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He claimed to be in and of himself nothing more than a clay, fragile pot. The word here used for earthen vessel or clay pot is a description of a vessel that was used in the home for ordinary and even base purposes. There was no real value in them. We can look upon them as being cheap as chips vessels. Their only real value was in their usefulness and what they contained. You know, you've all got some very basic plastic bowl or something at home that, wow, you tend to use that all the time. And as far as monetary value, you could toss it aside, you wouldn't even notice the difference to your budget. But these clay vessels in Paul's times were sometimes used to cleverly disguise and hold treasure. Remember the story in Matthew chapter 13 where, uh, where the person found treasure buried in the field and he went up and got it out and, and, and he buried it again and he sold all he had to buy that field. It's more than likely that the treasure that was in that story was in a clay pot. A more modern example of this principle is uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And you know the story about the Dead Sea Scrolls, how the shepherd threw some stones into this cave just to probably check to see if there was no Nazis in there. And then tinkle, 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 something broke. It was a clay pot. And woe and be, lo and behold, there were discovered the unbelievable treasure of all the Dead Sea Scrolls housed in clay pots. And this is how Paul sees himself. So don't get the idea here that in this biography that Paul is writing, he is of someone who's got a low self-esteem and he's psychologically wanting and so he's beating himself up kind of thing and, and in the end he throws a towel in. But he doesn't do that because we know twice in this chapter, at the beginning, verse 1 and in verse 16, he encourages others as he has encouraged himself it says, do not lose heart. And so why doesn't he lose heart? Why doesn't he, yeah, wow, just throw the towel in? It's because Paul, the chosen vessel, he contrasts the ordinary, weak and humble view of himself with the eternal value of the treasure, the new covenant gospel that has been entrusted to him by God. 
And so this is important. This is an important principle we need to hang on to and understand. And it's something that's used right throughout Scripture, something that God uses right throughout his redemptive program. The greatest example of these, of course, must be seen in the Lord Jesus. Mary and Joseph, these fragile, ordinary people, these clay vessels, were entrusted to be the eternal Savior's earthly parents. Imagine that. Think of that lowly cattle shed. Jordan and Jenna never went to Bethlehem, but I've been there many times in that area. That lowly cattle shed, there was no room for him in the inn, but this lowly cattle shed was what that housed the eternal king of glory. Those ordinary fishermen, remember, from Galilee, despised and, and by the aristocracy of Jerusalem, were the very fragile human clay pots that Jesus chose to become his disciples and to preach the gospel of hope and eternal life. These fragile clay pots, along with the Apostle Paul, were also those who the Lord chose to kickstart and to launch his church and to authenticate its launch with miracles and signs which has impacted the whole world. You see, this is how God works out his redemptive program in the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 29, this is what he says, Consider your calling, brethren. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The point we need to learn all this is that God loves to use humble, common people often those who are overlooked by society and even despised and ignored by the general populace. God loves to use people like that. So I would say that all of us, most of us, if not all of us, fit into that category. He loves to use people like you and me. But do not lose heart, folks. The Lord places in these kind of redeemed clay pots the treasure of his immeasurable value. You see, every true child of God, every person here this morning who has been born again has this treasure entrusted to them. Just like the Apostle Paul, they have entrusted to them and we have entrusted to us the the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. This is going right back to verse 6. We have the ministry of the gospel. It's ours. The Lord has given it to us. He's not only saved us, but he's given us this ministry of the gospel. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us and to enable us and to help and to bring to light the things of the scriptures. We have this ministry. We have the way, the truth and the life. We have the indwelling knowledge that in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Colossians 2. We have that. We have it. It may be like and sound like gold and silver and cheap and, and cheaper chips, plastic cups. It may sound like that. But in order for God's power and the gospel to be rightly attributed to him, 
His treasure is carried and displayed through ordinary clay pots like ourselves. Now that should be immensely encouraging to us all. Okay, you don't have to rise to a certain status. Ordinary clay pots. But also we need to heed the warning here. The world is full of people, aren't they, who are captivated by their own abilities and their own influence or who they can influence, captivated by their own cleverness. And sad to say, the church in general is not too far behind them. Pride and ego, that of making a name for themselves or itself, the Laodicean church fell into this category, remember? In Revelation chapter 3. And, and, the, and that is the same problem in the church today. Pride and ego. We're men... And churches seek power and glory and wealth and status. If we go back to Revelation chapter 3 in the Laodicean church, and where is the Lord? He's on the outside, knocking, wanting to gain entrance into that church. The Lord chooses humble people. Humility is something that allows nothing of themselves or a person's self to eclipse the surpassing greatness of the power of God and this was the Apostle Paul's resolve this was his whole worldview, no matter what life threw at him that's why in the next little section that's why, that's why when, when afflicted that means when he was under pressure he was never crushed he didn't fall in a heap with all the perplexities in life that he experienced he was not defeated in his spirit he was encouraged and lifted up. He, was, he, he did not lose heart. And even when he was persecuted, but he was new and encouraged himself that he was never forsaken or abandoned by the Lord. That's what this means here. And when he was struck down, this doesn't necessarily mean a physical struck down. It means when he was knocked back. And we all know what being knocked back is, right? When he was knocked back, he was not struck down. He was not knocked out. That's what it means. Though a jar of clay, Paul saw his life as invincible. Is that how we see our life? He saw his life as invincible to anything that the forces of evil and that the world could heap upon him. Even if he was killed, he would be in the presence of the Lord. What an awesome worldview to have. That's what Paul had. Paul knew that he was just a jar of clay, but he also understood that he was a chosen jar who, upheld, who was upheld and strengthened by God to manifest God's power in the gospel. And then at verse 10, Paul summarizes by way of explanation the real deal of verses 8 and 9. In all his trials and difficulties in life, he was... It says here, he was always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. You see that? In other words, my afflictions and perplexities and persecutions and knockbacks are not a result of punishment of some secret sin, by the way. That's what the false teachers were accusing him of. Ah, he's suffering these things because there's some sin in his life and God is giving him a, a whacking. No, 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 it wasn't. He said, but my life is one of dying. It didn't mean physical here. It was all about a life of denying himself. Denying himself the temptation to live for myself was his daily occupation. 
Ooh, that's tough, isn't it? Denial of self. You see, being a jar of clay used in whatever way the master chooses, that was a joy to Paul because he knew that it was through his weaknesses and through his fragility the life of the Jesus, the life of Jesus was manifested powerfully. See, folks, Paul identified in everyday life with Jesus Christ. He gave himself to the service of the king. He willingly was a nobody, can I say, he willingly was a nobody so Christ might be all in all to somebody. Sometimes we get that really back to front, don't we? We have a hankering to be somebody ourselves and thinking that that will be the power and the in all and end all to convince somebody. But not, not, that's not Paul's way and that's not our way either. This is how we had to live out our lives. We are humble jars of clay who depend on the power of God to uphold us so that in our weakness we will truly manifest Christ, the power of the gospel in uh, Christ. Secondly, the Lord's jars of clay have a purpose. We see this in verses 11 to 15. You know, it's one thing to acknowledge that we are ordinary jars of clay even acknowledge that yes we are weak at the best of times and only temporary we know that very well physically we know that very well but it's quite something else to live that theology out practically right Steve emphasized this last week that our theology needs to so grip us that it stands us in good stead when the evil vagaries of life hit us in other words, you might know all about this jar of clay principle that God uses to manifest his power. You might understand that, yep, that's right, that's what the scriptures teach, that's what I believe. But what does this look like in your life and what does it look in mine? This is where the rubber hits the road. Being humble before the Lord is not a humility show and tell kind of thing. You know, just when it suits. I'll be humble when it suits or maybe when someone else is listening or looking on. No, no, it's like that. Or some spasmodic display of humility in action. That's not humility. Humility is a lifestyle. A lifestyle of denying self. Just as Jesus humbled himself unto what? Death, right? He humbled himself unto death. So denial of all our selfless ambition is how genuine humility is perfected. Tough call, right? I've got a lot of work to do. Sure have. And I suspect you have as well. Death to self. Denial of self. But then we can ask, but what for? What for? Why should this be the way for me to live as a Christian? Being the Lord's jar of clay is so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. Verse 11, you see that? There's the answer. It's all about being a humble jar of clay for your sake so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. There we have that in verse 15. So this means that our humble living and serving and even suffering for some, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's all about the Lord. It's all about his design and purpose for his people to truly represent him in the here and now. 
And why, why does it have to be done like this? Well, the scriptures give us two reason here, reasons here. The first reason is so that the grace of God and the gospel which is spreading to more and more people will give reason for thankfulness and glory to abound toward God. This is not about us, folks. It's so that the glory and thanks be given to God and to him alone. You see that? We got this wrong too sometimes, don't we? We love getting pats on the back and be told how wonderful we are. But it's not about us. It's so God can receive thanks and glory. The second reason is, in verse 12, Paul says, My suffering, my denial of self, my selfless sacrifice was for who? You. That's what it says. Was for you. You see that? He lived so that others might be established and built up in the faith. He tells believers at Philippi the same thing. He says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Philippians 2.17. Young Timothy, the young pastor at Ephesus, he tells him the same thing. He says, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain a salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with eternal glory. How are we stacking up? as we evaluate our personal lives in regard to the primary purpose God has given us for living, folks. How are we stacking up? We need to ask ourselves so as to emulate Paul as the Lord's jar of clay. Uh, is my purpose for li- living characterized by selflessness, self-denial, sacrifice for the sake of God's glory? Is my life purpose and my worldview all tied up uh, in living for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of my brothers and sisters in the church? Is that how it stacks up? Challenging questions, aren't they? And I'm sure we all fall short to some degree or other. So we have lots of improvement Lots of movement to make. But you know what? Any movement toward being more Christ-like or emulating the Apostle Paul won't happen by itself. Do you know that? It's not as if we're going to be blinded with or, or zapped with some heavenly vision or, or, or some uh, streak of light that's going to bring about these things. It won't happen by, this, by itself. You might say, well, how does it happen then? Because what this involves, we told here in verses 13 and 14, it surely involves communication. See that? In other words, as a Christian, as a born-again believer, you must speak, you must give testimony of what God has entrusted to you. That's the deal here. That's, that's what happens. Paul says, I have the same spirit of the writer of the psalmist. The psalmist wrote this. And so the psalmist says, I believe, therefore I spoke. And so Paul says exactly the same thing. In other words, Paul believed what was recorded in Scripture, he could not contain. His understanding, and here it is again, his theology so gripped them, it so resonated with his soul that he could not keep it to himself. Folks, genuine belief in Jesus Christ impels consistent, unwavering testimony to the truth of the gospel. Now, I know that there are some here more gifted in speaking to others about Christ than others. That's a, that's a given. That is a given. And it's a gift. 
But genuine faith will not remain completely silent. And I get really concerned when I even struggle with professing believers who are see believers, professing believers really struggling when they're even talking about the Lord amongst themselves. You might bring up a topic or bring up an issue or, or talk about the church and, you, and all you'll see is a shuffling of feet and, a, and they're uncomfortable. I really struggle with that. Silence or lack of conviction in our delivery or testimony to the truth of the gospel surely means this, surely means a lack of conviction in the heart, right? Simply put, if you truly believe, you will certainly tell. And for you mums and dads here, that will mean firstly, definitely, in the home. Absolutely. Because if it's not done in the home, it won't be done anywhere else. That's where it's got to start. We will speak of the cross. We will speak of our sin that nailed the Lord there. We will speak of Christ who was buried and, and, and has risen and has ascended to glory and He's come again. We'll speak of God's resurrection power and how one day He will take all those who truly believe in Jesus Christ to be with Him forever. That's our purpose, folks. Living testimonies that tell. Yes, just fragile jars of clay. But can I encourage you to look and be captivated by the treasure that we hold and to the one who has entrusted it to us. The Lord's jars of clay hold eternal treasure. We see this in verses 16 to 18. You know, Paul suffered tremendously and severely for the gospel's sake. And yet he endured. He endured, right? which makes him, again, an excellent example for us to follow because we have trials, as Steve mentioned last week, it's not when if trials come to our lives, it's when they will come and we'll all have trials to some degree or other and the Lord will not give us anything that we cannot bear. And so we need to ask, how did he manage to endure? What was his focus? What kept him on course? What was the light at the end of the tunnel for Paul that kept him true and on course and on even keel? Paul endured because he kept his focus on the treasure. You got that? His light, his hope at the end of the tunnel was the eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison as we have in our text. So much so that at the end of his life, Paul could say to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, here it is, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. He was a man, an ordinary jar of clay that persevered, who did not lose heart, although everything this world stood for was heaped against him. His secret was that he valued spiritual strength over physical strength. He knew all about the vagaries of sickness and suffering and an aging body. He knew all that and experienced all that. But his value was on the inner man, as the Bible talks about, the inner man, not the outer man. His value was on the inner man, the treasure of faith, the promises of the gospel, which were being strengthened and cultivated day by day. 
Paul told Timothy again in 1 Timothy 4.8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, we've got this so back to front, folks. The world has, and sad to say, many of us Christians follow this. So many believers invest more time and money concern over their earthly comforts and their physical bodies than they do on their spiritual well-being. And I say this kindly and I say this to myself. But not Paul. He not only valued the spiritual over the physical, he also valued the future over the present. You know that? That's what he means when he tosses aside, when he says... When he tosses aside momentary light affliction, that's what he means, means, he means there. He tosses it aside as nothing in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. That was his heavenly reward. His concern over his jar of clay-like body and his earthly well-being, well, it was secondary to him. It was secondary to the treasure of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that was entrusted to him. But he also valued something else. He valued the eternal over the temporary. We see this in verse 18. In other words, all the stuff of the world, all its comforts, its pleasures, its money, its security, all the stuff that you can see held no sway with the Apostle Paul. Legitimate as many of those things are, it didn't hold sway. He knew what that eternal treasure was and its future reward was, because why? Because this is what he did in Colossians 3, 2. He set his mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Is that what we do? He was truly a man who lived by faith and not by sight. His focus was on God and Christ and his redemptive plan for sinners through the gospel. That's the treasure that drove this uh, jar of clay. It drove him. So how are you lining up? How am I lining up? If you're a believer here this morning, what are you doing with this entrusted eternal treasure in the gospel? What are you doing with that? The temporary stuff of the world that you can see is just that, exactly that, temporary, right? The word of God that never fades is what strengthens our souls, and it weans us from our hankering. And we all know we have a hankering that's part of our flesh nature, as it were. We have a hankering after the temporary stuff. But as we feed upon the Word of God, it strengthens our souls and it cultivates that treasure that we have and it causes our focus to be on the things of the Lord rather than that temporary stuff. So how does that happen? How does that happen? It happens simply like this. Just as your faith first began. Just as your faith first began is the same way it is strengthened. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We need to be in the word. The word's our authority. It's our sufficiency for life and godliness. So if you're not in the word, you will have poor value, low value of what is entrusted to you. And it will be seen in how we live. May as the Lord's jars of clay, we be vessels of honour, 
sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work, as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.21. Thank you for your kind attention. Shall we stand and close our meeting in prayer this morning? Our gracious God, we bow before you, acknowledging that you are God over all and blessed forever. We also acknowledge, Lord, that you are the creator and we are the creatures. And we who have been born again have passed through your hands a second time, as it were. We have become your children. And so, Lord, you have entrusted to us something of your glory in the gospel, the promises and, and something of your truth. And, Lord, help us to live that out. Help us to be beacons that shine it out. Help us to understand that our purpose is to live for the Lord and not for ourselves. Clay vessels we are, but Father, oh what a treasure that has been entrusted to us. Captivate our hearts this morning, Lord, and throughout this week and cause us to be living testimonies for your glory. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.